Gentlemen, welcome back this week. Guys, today we have another amazing and incredible conversation for you. Joining me on the show is none other than Joel Gandara. Joel is a true entrepreneurial inspiration. Born in Havana, Cuba, he immigrated to the United States as a very young child. His humble beginnings instilled in him a hunger for success, leading him to become an entrepreneur from a very early age. Just like the boy coach Frank Rich, his entrepreneurial journey began with selling trading cards and candy bars and culminated in the creation and sale of a multi-million dollar business and exit for Joel. At the age of 39, he was able to semi-retire, stepping back from the daily operations to enjoy the life with his family and to coach other men on how to achieve their own success. Now, Joel takes a holistic approach to success, which extends beyond financial prosperity. He recognizes the importance of mental and physical well-being and the dangers of burnout. His mission is to show entrepreneurs that success can be achieved without sacrificing personal health and happiness. Joel is not just a successful entrepreneur, but a beacon of hope for those striving to overcome adversity and achieve holistic success. His story is a reminder that growth, prosperity, and the evolution of the human spirit are deeply intertwined facets of fulfilling your life's journey. Guys, in this conversation, Joel's going to open up about his experiences as an immigrant, his struggles, and how he overcame adversity to achieve his dreams. We're going to discuss the importance of discipline, resilience, and intentional living, offering valuable lessons for anyone who is looking to make positive changes in their life. And we're going to talk about the 31-day challenge that Joel runs with the men inside of his organization. And we're going to introduce to you the 31 days to becoming a better man. So strap up. Lock in, guys, and let's get ready for another incredible conversation. But before we do that, guys, want to remind you that we do drop brand new episodes every single Monday. And if you want to make sure that you never miss a release of our show, make sure to hit that subscribe button right now, guys. But without further ado, let's get into today's conversation on how you can level up and become a better man in just 31 days with Joel Gandar. We love you guys, and we'll see you on the other side. Welcome to the Superhuman Life. I'm your host, Frank Rich, and this is the only podcast in the world that is dedicated to helping men level up in the five key areas of life. Each week, we bring you real and raw conversations with the world's leading experts in faith, fitness, finance, family, and freedom to provide you with real actionable tools to break limiting beliefs, take action, and shatter the glass ceiling on your life's potential. So jump on board and join me on this journey as we dive into today's conversation and unlock the keys to you becoming the man you were born to be and creating your own superhuman life. Joel, I know you came to the States at a very young age. You were on a boat from Cuba. Uh, can you talk to me about that experience, what it did to you then, and looking back, how that played a massive role in just who you've become today? Yeah, I came here in the Mariel Boatlifts, 1980. Uh, Cuba let out a lot of their people in the United States, being a humanitarian nation, accepted. But Castro, Fidel Castro was no idiot. He emptied the prisons, the mental asylums. That's not where I come from. But, uh, you know, I came with my parents, very hardworking people, my brother and I. It wasn't an easy joy ride. We were in a boat that had a capacity of 75. There was over 150 of us or so. And it was rough. Uh, we were 12 hours in that boat. For only 90 miles, but four of those hours were a very rough storm. And that's the part I remember. I remember getting on the boat. I remember being in that camp waiting for a couple of days. I remember getting to Key West and getting into that Marine camp. But what I uh, really have a vivid memory of is when that boat would go up, it was all sky. And when that boat dropped, it was four walls of water. And I never saw the tops. I would always look up and I couldn't see them. So it was this up and down 
And I'll tell you what the best thing has come out of that is a total appreciation, not only of life, because I know that I could have died at that young age out in the ocean in those rough seas and no very, not very good conditions. We did not have all the proper life jackets and all of that. Um, but, but it's an appreciation and also this eagerness to get ahead and to do well and make my life count because so many didn't get here. I have so many first cousins I've never met because I've never been back. And so I'm here as a representative of them and I have to do the best that I can in all aspects of my life. So that's really the mission that it's put me on. Yeah. When, when did that become clear in, in a parent? I think you were what, four or five years old at the time. Were you already thinking like that? No, not at that age. I'm sure I wasn't. You know, memories are weird because they change over time and we see them from the perspective of where we are today. But it's not always that way. When you're a four and a half year old kid, your thoughts are simple. It's, wow, this boat ride is scary. I'm hungry. It's been a couple of days I haven't eaten. I want to get somewhere, wherever they're telling me we're going to go and we're going to see family, my grandparents, my cousins I've never met on that side of, of the Straits of Florida. That's what I'm thinking of. It's those simple thoughts. But over time, I remember noticing differences in my upbringing to those around me where kids had toys, kids had new pants, not hand-me-downs from church. Uh, kids had nice shoes, and I had the cheapest Payless shoes source shoes you could possibly have. So I always noticed there's, there's something different about me. I, I don't quite match, and I don't fit in properly. So I got to work extra hard to stand out. And that started happening at a very early age. At 10 years old, I started making my own money uh, with trading cards and any way I can make money, stamps. I mean, I made money on a bunch of different things, chocolates, and it was out of a need to want to have what other kids have. I'm not a materialistic person, but when you're a little kid and you realize you don't have any toys and all the other kids have toys, or after school, they can go buy a snack at the counter and I couldn't. Those are the sort of things that got me motivated in the beginning. And that's what pushed me into entrepreneurship. Yes. At 10 years old, you were, you were already, I mean, out there making, making your own money. Yeah. So I'll tell you one of my biggest, the biggest accomplishment as a kid where I can say, you know what? I did that on my own. I got these trading cards that are called garbage pail kids. And I bought them at my grandmother's neighborhood when we would go visit there on the weekend. And on Monday I took it to school and no, they didn't have them in my town where I lived, you know, 20 minutes apart, but they didn't have them. So I sold them at school and made a bunch of money. And guess what? I bought myself a toy and it was a transformer robot. And it was the largest one. It's called Omega Supreme. It's this big base and it cost me like $50. I was 10 years old. My parents didn't even speak English. I probably still had an accent and I bought this thing on my own and I was the envy of all the kids. And I felt like I've done it. I could do it. This is how easy it is to make money in this country. Let's do it. Yeah, that's incredible, man. I've shared this story a couple of times on, on the show, but I was in seventh grade. So a little bit older than, than you were at that age. What are you, 12, 13, around, around the age of seven? And this is, you know, pre, like you go into any neighborhood today, you know, you walk outside my house right now, there's going to be probably four different landscaping companies. Some of them are, you know, million dollar businesses. Guys have built real big businesses off of cutting grass. But back then, you know, almost 30 years ago, it wasn't really an industry. Like you, people cut their own grass, or maybe there were a handful of kids that would cut grass in the neighborhood. Uh, we grew up, you know, middle class, I kind of say maybe lower middle class. Like we always had enough, like there was always food. There was always a couple gifts, but like, just like you, I would see the kids that maybe had the all-star Jordans or had the brand new clothes. Uh, for me, I was a big Jordan fan and this was the year of the 50th anniversary, the bulls red and black, black with the red pinstripes. I had the gold Jerry West logo. I still own the Jersey today and it still fits me as a 40 year old man. But I remember cutting grass every single week until I had $250 to go out and buy that jersey. And the ability to put it on and be like, I got this, I did, 
I made this money, man. And, and I think just like you, that was the insight that I needed that like, okay, if you ever need anything in this world, like there's an opportunity to go out there and create the money. So that's amazing, man. I really, I really love that. Yeah. I have an older brother. He's five and a half years older than me. Okay. Does he have that same entrepreneurial spirit as well? He did some entrepreneurial ventures since he was older. Him and my dad did some things when he was older. I was a kid. They would do photography on the weekends and my dad would do the shooting of the pictures. My brother would videotape. And then over the week, my dad would edit. And once I got old enough, and I think I was 12, uh, I ran the second camera. So this is a little weekend business. My dad would maybe get one job a month and we did a little of that. My, but my brother's mostly been a nine to five radio station guy for 30 something years. Yeah. So when, I guess, when did you know, obviously the spirit was in there from a very young age. Like at that point, did you know, like business is where I'm going? What are you thinking, you know, through your teenage years, you're filling out, you know, career day, job applications. Like what are your thoughts as you're, as you're growing up? Like, did you always know that business ownership was going to be the route? Uh, that's what I always wanted. I, if you would have asked me back then, I was convinced I would be a major league baseball player. I worked really hard. I made it to a starting position in college, but got hurt my first year and stopped playing. So that's when I go, okay, all that entrepreneurship stuff I've been doing, because through high school, I I netted $30 a day. This is in the early to mid nineties and not every day, but uh, maybe senior year, every day there, I netted $30 and it was doing chocolate bars. I'd go to Costco. My friend had a membership and I'd go on uh, with them and I'd buy a ton. My bedroom looked like Costco's warehouse. And I had every chocolate bar you can imagine. And then I'd fill these plastic bags and I'd fill my backpack. I grew up near Oakland, California. Weather's pretty cool. They wouldn't melt. Now I live in Florida. That's, it's harder to do because they would melt. So every day, uh, my net profit was $30 and it was fantastic. And I did that. So, so I never let it go. It was always out of necessity. It wasn't until I realized like, you know what? I'm not going to make it as a baseball player. My back is hurting. I can't keep playing. I have to do this in overdrive. And then I started doing everything you can imagine, going to garage sales, buying stuff, taking it to the flea market, loaning money with some interest, uh, buying anything I could do to flip and make more money on. Yeah, it never, it hasn't stopped since then. Yeah, yeah, you were, you were Gary Vee before Gary Vee was Gary Vee uh, with the garage sale stuff back then. What's your first And I see that he makes, it like a, he makes it a cool thing. It's so funny how he does it at this age for fun. Yeah, that would be fun. For me, it was a hustle, man. It wasn't fun. It was, I got to make some money today. I need money. Talk to me about that mentality, right? Like, like the need, like the, like there's, I feel like this is a lot of people today that are trying to break through in business. Like there's not that burning like fire that I have to make this work. Entrepreneurship with, because of guys like Gary has become a cool thing. But I think for you and I, it came out of necessity. So talk about the difference in just that mindset. Yeah, I almost find like the, the modern mindset of entrepreneurship is cute. It's, I'm an entrepreneur. It's a title. And, and if I make money, great. If I don't, but I raise money and I bombed, it doesn't matter. I'm an entrepreneur. It didn't work like that back in the day. It doesn't work like that for those of us who had to get ahead. This is about, am I going to live under a bridge or am I going to stay in this crappy neighborhood where I hear gunshot at night and where I know the guy, the most successful person in my neighborhood is that guy right there who sells drugs Am I going to stay in this or am I going to get out of this? And to me, that's what it was. So for me, I felt like life and death. You know, till this day, I have this thing about being careful and and turning corners carefully and guarding myself and protecting myself from physical attack. And it's from growing up in a neighborhood where I got into fights and it wasn't safe. So when you grow up like that, man, that pressure of being an entrepreneur, I don't even know if I knew the word. It doesn't matter. I needed to make money. I had to hustle and make money. That's the difference. 
And when that fire is under you, I think you push it so much harder. At the same time, I also personally find it more enjoyable to be on the other side of that and say, whew, now I can take a breather. It's been 30 years, 40 years of hustling. Now I can relax a little bit. And now it's fun. Yeah, sure. Hey, I put a hundred grand in this thing. And if it does well, great. And if it doesn't, no big deal. But there's a dark difference. There's a clear difference between the guy who's got to make it out of the ghetto and, and, and survive and the guy who's just trying to make a few extra dollars to have a, a cool resume. Yeah. How do you keep that fire alive today? I mean, with the success that you've had, I'm assuming, I don't know if you're at the point where I know you've semi-retired. I don't know if you're at the point where you don't have to work, but having the level of success, like what keeps that fire burning inside of you? Yeah. So what happened uh, over 20 years, I built up a business, uh, I, which I started a garage sale buying samples of underwear uh, from a sales rep, took it to the flea market, $500 turned into $3,000. i am going to avoid all the boring stories in between, but I'll fast forward that. I own 20 brands of underwear and swimwear and athletic apparel. And about 100 days ago, I exited that company and I sold it. We sold millions of dollars a year, bottom line on a good year, seven figures, was, uh, no partners. And at the end, the last like eight years, I was working four hours a week. So it was phenomenal. For me, that was phenomenal success to go from poverty to multimillionaire and a multimillion dollar business. So your question is, how do you keep that fire going? I'll tell you how. It's not about money anymore. For me, it's a passion. And I always heard people say, you got to find your passion. Yeah, my passion is getting out of the ghetto and not getting shot and living better. Once you have the material things that you need, and I'm a very simple person. I don't own a watch. I don't own jewelry. I only buy used cars that are inexpensive. My house is paid for. All of those. I don't need anything. I don't want anything. So how do I keep the fire going? Now it's passion-based, and it's a mission that I'm on. In my case, it's helping men uh, create a better life for themselves. And so that's a passion. And now I wake up in the morning and it feels the same. I didn't miss a beat. I was already doing that a little bit. And then I sold my business. So I had, I got that, the pleasure of not stopping and wondering, well, what do I do now? No, I built one as the other one was, I knew I was exiting. So that's the difference now that now it's a passion and I feel so motivated as if I needed the money, but it's totally different. I'll tell you what the next step is though. I have four kids. It's putting that passion into them and that fire and that hunger, because when your parents grow up successfully, it's very different than when your parents are very poor. So that's what I've been working on also for the last few years. Yeah. Are, can, you, can you share anything that you're actively practicing to instill that hardship in them when they can have everything they want? Like you can't emulate your life. I mean, it would be dangerous to take them to a neighborhood and just say, throw them out on the street and say, make your, you know, find your way back home. So what are you doing you know, specifically with your children to ensure that they are going through some of those hardships? I'll start off by telling you a quick story. So the top, the oldest, just turned 18, already finished boot camp with the Army. He's an American soldier. He's a sharpshooter. He did that in between junior and senior year and then came back in September to start his senior year. He'll be finished in a few months. Uh, in the meantime, he's a pharmacy tech uh, at a pharmacy, um, he, and he's already reporting as a reserve uh, off, uh, soldier locally, right? Now, Graduates high school, goes off to mechanic school with the army. Then he comes back and reports as a reservist until he goes active duty, which he's going to switch to. Second one is a, a top runner. He's going to run division one uh, cross country, hard worker. Third one has an Etsy store. She's 11 years old. This weekend, she will have uh, a booth and an artisanal show, which she pays for. She runs her sewing machine and she sews. She lets people pick the fabric and she works for eight hours a day when she does that. But on her Etsy store, she's working an hour a day sewing clothes when she gets home from school. She's 11 years old. My nine-year-old is the youngest and he hustles too. All my kids have businesses. His, that well, they all focus on this one aside from their secondary businesses. They all sell chocolates. 
And they got that from me doing it. So the oldest will buy pallets at a time and wholesale to his brothers and sisters. And they all go out and sell in shopping centers. When we go to a restaurant, they put it on the table. They rotate whose turn it is to sell. And they all make money. And I mean legitimate money. My 18-year-old just bought his first car, $14,500 cash. He went to the dealership, just turned 18. He did all that on his own. He only called me before he signed the document. He said, hey, can you come check it out? I went. We test drove the car for the second time. And I, and I didn't sign anything. He signed everything. I just watched. And he did that. I'll give you some examples today of what we're doing. And I mean today. My nine-year-old is right now shoveling rocks. I just posted it on Instagram about 30 minutes ago. He's outside shoveling rocks. He's getting $10 an hour. It's a big project. I got two cubic yards delivered on a big dump truck and he's shoveling them into a wheelbarrow. And him and I were doing that for the last few hours. He gets $10 an hour. He normally saves almost everything he earns. But today, because he plays YMCA basketball, he told me he's going to the Nike outlet tonight with my wife and he's buying a $40 pair of shoes. He's 10 years old. You want fancy shoes, you buy them yourself. He's doing that. My 18-year-old son started driving two weeks ago, got in his first fender bender today. And I was in the old infrared sauna at my house with a coaching client. And I get a call and he says, I just got rear-ended. I was backing out. She was coming at me. I don't know what to do. And I asked a few questions to get the proper, tell me exactly what happened. And when he did, I said, that's the story. When the police get there, tell them exactly what you just told me. Because that's, you're not in the fault if that's true. And then he said, great, are you coming? And I said, coming for what? And he said, yeah, because I've never been through this. Can you come and see what I do? And I said, no, you're a grown man. You're 18 years old. You got, you got, you're able to drive. You're able to get in an accident. You're able to take care of it on your own. Oh, and oh, by the way, you're an American soldier. You just turned 18 years old, but you've already done all of these things. You're way ahead of the game. You're a kid with $30,000 in the bank and you grinded and did all that on your own. You're on your own, Ryan. And he said, all right, I got it. I got it. And he came home with a good police report, said it wasn't his fault. He's going to call that other insurance company. That's what I do. My wife and I are very good. First of all, we have a united front. Everything I say, my wife says. Everything she says, I stick with. And we do that when it comes to the kids. And we ha- we're very consistent. And we tell them one lie. Here's a beauty. My kids don't listen to me on podcasts. So I could lie and tell you what the truth is. The truth is there's going to be plenty for them. But the reality that I tell them is there is no college. There is no car. There's no car insurance and there's not another dollar. When you're 16, you're financially independent in our house. When you're 18, you pay $200 a month in rent. My oldest son proudly pays $200 a month in rent. It's a Zelle payment. Comes in at like three in the morning on the first of every month. He's two months in and he's proud. He tells his brothers and sisters, I pay rent here. You know, that boosts his ego and all of them know that that's coming for them one day, but we're preparing them. They're going to have tens of thousands of dollars in the bank and know how to create more wealth whenever they need it. That's how we've been building independent children. Oh, that's incredible, man. Wow. Like, I, and that's got to create like a sense of real ownership in him. Like, you know, obviously the house is yours, right? But it's like, you know, it elevates him a little bit above, you know, the other kids. It's like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm the senior here, right? I'm 18. I'm an adult, you know, technically by, you know, by, by law here, but it's like, I do hold a higher position here in this household because there is some of my money that's, that's paying there. And it probably creates a level of kind of hierarchical respect from the younger. I'm just assuming, I don't know if this would be the case, right. Of how the other kids look at him. And, and like you said, like they're looking forward to that themselves as well. That's incredible, man. Wow. Well, you know what we do around that's something really we celebrate. Oh, in our family, yes, we have small talk. Yes, we laugh a ton. But we also have moments where everything is by design. Around our dinner table, first of all, four kids, and my wife and I, sometimes a kid or two will be visiting. 
and we ask, you know, what was your favorite part of the day? You get to really know about that kid. Because we're very entrepreneurial and we motivate them in that direction, when that conversation comes up like, well, you know that eraser I bought for $2? I just sold it for $8 to a kid. Boom, we're celebrating that. We're talking about it on bank day. When the kids go and deposit $600, $400, we bring that little deposit slip and we always make sure they put the total balance. The check, the, the person at the bank writes it because we're gonna, you're going to say that. Tell us what you got in the bank and we're going to celebrate that. And we're going to point out how that's how you buy a house. And that's how you do what I did. At 22 years old, I bought my first house. I rented out two of the rooms. Those two paid my mortgage. At 23, I bought my second. At 24, I bought my third. At 25, I bought my fourth property. How? Because I worked hard when I was a little kid and I saved up money and I put a $32,000 down payment on a simple little house. My kids are on the track to do the same thing. So when they compare themselves with other kids, which we're not out there comparing, but they always tell me, do you know that my friends don't know what a profit loss statement is? They don't know what an asset sheet is. They don't know what their parents do for a living, what they make, what assets they have. I always say, you know, we are different, right? When I explain all these things to you, when I'm an open book to you guys, this is why. So you can feel successful and you can feel confident to go on to the next thing. And that's what my wife and I both intentionally do. Yeah, man. I I, I love that you, you brought her up now multiple times. And I think you said something back in the previous question around you guys are like united on, on this front. Like what's going to come out of your mouth is going to repeat it out of hers. You know, there's a lot of parents, there's a lot of fathers listening to the show. Speak to the importance, if you can, about being on the same page with your partner, with your spouse, like not having these contradictory messages. Oh, so the results I think are obvious, right? Uh, now, how do we get there? I know my wife's love language and I take care of her in every single way that you can imagine. Her love language happens to be acts of service. She's not going to be down there packing the four lunches for the kids by herself. I'm always going to go help. I don't care if it's to saran wrap a couple of things. I want her to see that I'm there for her, right? And words of encouragement, all those things. If you haven't taken the free test on fivelovelanguages.com, I've met the guy, I've had dinner with him, Dr. Gary Chapman. 80 million people. He's a Christian-based uh, man. I, I don't know if he's a pastor, but phenomenal. Learn your wife's love language and then teach her what yours is because that's only fair. You're going to speak the same language. So that's how you set up because I could tell you, yeah, be on the same page. Great. That sounds wonderful. We know what the benefits of that are going to be. You guys are going to be together. The kids are going to respect you. All these fantastic things. But ahead of that requires some work. It requires not being selfish, living under your means and not going to spend stuff on you. All these things that come together. But starts with what is important to her. Like I said, if it's, if it's acts of service, if it's words of encouragement, whatever it is, figure that out and keep giving that. And in, my, in our house, my wife and I have like a joke. If she walks by me and touches my shoulder, she'll say, huh? Physical touch, huh? You know, acts of service. Hers is acts of service. Mine's physical touch. So she'll go out of her way, even if it is not in her nature, to do that for me. I don't have to go out of my way. If my wife walks anywhere near me, she's going to get grabbed and she's going to get held and she's going to get hugged and kissed and all that sort of thing. So I know what hers is and I'm going to take care of her. I think it starts with those very little things that send a message of, I love you. You can trust me. I'm here for you. And if we start building that way, what kind of what kind of relationship can we do? You know, we can create this amazing situation and we all want the best for the kids. What I've had to do, because women are softer, nicer, more pleasant, and men are rough and we have testosterone and we want to just grab things and break them. Um, my wife has taught me to not explode and to not yell. And that didn't happen in one day. That happened over time. And I've become more mature. And now I, I don't let my reptilian brain, instead I try to let my executive brain do some of the thinking. But what I've taught her is examples of people that I've known in my life, and she has as well, where we say, you know that guy that we both know who's an absolute loser, who's a deadbeat dad, who uses drugs, who drinks, who does all these bad things? 
Do you remember that his mom did everything for him? That his parents didn't let him battle the battles that life brings at you? And that, that way I've convinced her that she says, you're right. They need to be like Dr. Jordan Peterson says, you got to let your kids take some risks uh, in a controlled environment. You know, you don't want your kid to fall off a roof and break his neck, but you'll let him a little five-year-old climb a tree. Just be right there under him. If he falls, he's going to get scared. You're going to catch him. It's a great memory. But, but let them take a little bit of that risk. And, and that way you can, you can create better children. I really believe that you're creating them. They have their own way of being, but you can help create that. So my wife and I are on the same page, but it starts with the relationship that we've built together, that then later we take that to our children. Yeah, that's great, man. I think it's at somewhere around rule 10 or 11, where he talks about let your kid play with a skateboard or something. I'm you know, not, not exactly going to kind of nail it there, but speaking specifically to that, let your kid get out there, take risks, let, you know, let them, let them fail, let the world kind of slap them around. You know, so many young men that I deal with and work with have been coddled there in, in, in entire life. And it's not their fault, right? It's, uh, you know, we have a very easy kind of microwave type society where anything you want, you can push a button and it'll show up at your front door, whether it's, you know, something to eat, something to drink, uh, you want some sex, you want some intimacy, you go right on Pornhub and it's, it's right there readily available for you. So I think a lot of this is just um, lack of maybe strength, strong, strong men. Like, would, would, would you agree with that, that a lot of what the issue that young men are dealing with is lack of real masculine strength in, in their, in their life. Yeah. Because remember a couple hundred years ago and for thousands of years before that, what did you do when you were strong enough to carry something? You went out and worked with your dad and your grandfather and your uncles, right? That's what we did. And we worked really hard and we became men and we got to see what our dad did when he stubbed his toe or when he hurt his hand and we got to see his reaction. Ah, oh, that's what a man does. A real man who wasn't made by just reading a book. I love books, but you become a man through hard work and calluses on your hand and suffering and staying somewhat quiet about that and not crying to your spouse about it. So, but what, what have we changed? We've put little boys in a classroom inside a little box. I didn't do very well in school. I have ADHD and I just heard a woman all day telling me how to be. And that woman was phenomenal, great teacher. And she was the perfect role model for all my little co- students who were girls, but she wasn't a great role model for me because nothing that she did or said was what I related to. Now, on those rare occasions that I had a male teacher, they became great role models. Unfortunately, that was maybe one out of 10. And I'd never learned from that how to be a man. Obviously, I have a father. I have uncles. I have an older brother. All of those things help me. But when you grow up without a father, with only women teachers, you're going to be missing something in your life. Now, it's not your fault until you make that realization. Once you say, aha, I am here because of that past, perfect. Now that explains a lot. But from that moment that you made that realization on, it's on you. It's like Jocko calls it extreme ownership. It's on you. You've already know why you're here. You already know why you're so delicate and you're so soft. Now start making changes. I'll tell you the things that I put myself through intentionally, 72 hour fast, ultra marathon running, jujitsu five days a week, heavy weightlifting, less and less over the years, you know, because things start to hurt a lot. But put yourself in uncomfortable situations. You won't catch me unless it's raining out. I live in South Florida. It's very hot. You'll rarely catch me with my windows up and my air conditioning on. Unless my wife's in the car and she doesn't want her hair to frizz up with the humidity. If I'm by myself, I'm going to be sweating. Uh, if I have an opportunity to go bike ride to the grocery store, I'm going to bike ride to the grocery store. If I have an opportunity to go, look, my son and I have done some difficult things. My, my one son, who's a very good runner, 
he'll run in Division One pretty soon, college, when he graduates high school. Him and I did a 21-mile walk to the beach one day. I think he was 11 or 12 years old. The following year, we did a 35-mile walk to downtown Miami from where I live. And man, you get to know somebody and you get to know yourself. That's not comfortable. You're carrying a backpack with a lot of water, a lot of food. It's South Florida. Both were done in the summer. It was hot, humid, some bad neighborhoods. Uh, Put yourself in uncomfortable situations. That's how you man up. That's how you get a little tougher. And if you're a dad, do these with your son. Do a little bit with your daughter too. Should make her tough as well. I've got one girl. I've got three boys. I've got one girl. So a lot of my advice goes more to boys, but it's important to be a great dad for both. No, absolutely, man. I, I think I've always said, you know, it's your role as a father to model the man that you want your son to be and model the man that you want your daughter to end up with, right? And I think a lot of that comes from the strength, the intentionality around, you know, dating your daughter uh, as, 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 as much as, you know, you can um, and just being that clear example of this is what a real man in is and this is the type of man that you deserve to have and don't settle for anything less so i I love that only add to that also the way you treat your wife you got to treat your wife really really well uh you know you you both should treat each other like royalty and i don't know how to fake this I'm i'm a pretty open sincere person when my wife walks into the room when i go downstairs and i see her and i just saw her an hour ago when i go downstairs i swear it warms my heart. It honestly, I see my wife and I smile every time I see her. I really feel that. Maybe I can't train you on doing that. I don't know how to teach that, but it's all I know. And I've been married over 21 years. This is my, my lover, my best friend, the, my favorite person in the entire world. By the way, I'm very disciplined and I work out hard. I study, I read, I do all these things, but so does my wife. And that keeps us motivating each other, not in a competitive environment, but we keep wanting to keep up with each other. And in the process, we just keep elevating each other. So those are important things. Treat your wife very well. And your kids are going to see that. You're going to build a better relationship. Everybody's going to be happier. Oh, absolutely. Because before they're, before they're even aware of it, they're witnessing how marriages interact. They're seeing the, the relationship dynamics of the masculine and feminine in real time. And prior to them even being consciously aware of this thing, these things are getting programmed. You know, I've, I've, I've been on a massive healing journey. You know, obviously I've been open about struggles with pornography addiction, but you know, my parents maybe didn't have the greatest relationship. There's a lot of uh, frustration. There's a lot of, of fights, nothing physical, just a lot of angry, uh, anger in the home. Right. And, and, and I can recall as I've kind of been unpacking my life, like going through this healing, it's like, I was treating the women in my life exactly the way that I saw my father treat the women in, or the, the way I saw my father treat my mom. Right. And it was, it was so deeply ingrained in me just from like an unconscious level. So that point right there, Joel, I really appreciate you bringing, bringing that up. Cause I think that's massive. How you treat your wife will, will be an example of how your sons treat their future spouses and what your daughter expects from her future spouse. Incredible. Yeah. Thank and you. remember that wasn't that. your fault as a kid. That was the past, but the day you recognized it, from then on, it's your fault. So now it's your responsibility. It becomes my responsibility to fix it. Yeah, it becomes, yeah, I've always said with, with the guys that we work with, you know, maybe it's not your fault that you've been addicted to pornography, but once you know that you are, it's your responsibility to fix it. Nobody's coming to save it for you. So I think you and I definitely agree on that. I think obviously we're both big fans of, of, of Jocko. Um, we talked about you didn't know what it, what it meant to be a man. And you wrote a book called 31 Days to Becoming a Better Man. Um, curious, in your opinion, what does it mean to be a man? Yeah. So I'm a pretty traditional person. I I was brought up Southern Baptist. So you can imagine uh, it's very clearly defined 
the path is a very narrow one and it's lit up and everything else is bad. So I'll start with that bias. I see I'm very traditional. I'm pretty conservative. Um, and so I see white and black in many things, right? So I understand there are some minor, minor, minor parts of the population that might be confused on this topic about gender. And I get it. You know, if you're born with two sets of genitalia, I get it. I feel horrible. You have a major confusion and you're a full grown adult. I understand. I feel for you. Now, I don't think we should convince kids that there's something other than the 99.99% of what's normal and what's standard for humans. But um, I think men are different from women. I uh, do some blood work. Um, look at levels, right? Who has more testosterone? Who has more, uh, more estrogen? Uh, feel a man's muscles. Feel a woman's muscles, right? There are usually some differences. There's a size. There's a voice. There's strength. There's aggression. Um, there's a sense of responsibility. Uh, years ago, I read a book on the differences between men and women, and, many years ago, and I learned a few things, like why a man won't ask for directions, right? A man wants to feel like he can go through the woods and figure it out. Um, why a man can't find things in closed quarters? I can't find anything in the refrigerator. But you know what? Maybe not so much today, but I played sports all my life. I could hit a moving target with a football or a baseball. My wife can't throw a spear or, or throw a baseball uh, or a football in a receiver's hands or anything like that. But man, she can find things. She could read people, right? We go to an event. I think you're happy. She goes, no, there's something bothering him. And a week later, we find out, yeah, your mom's in the hospital. You just didn't tell us. Women have these amazing gifts, and I think men have these, all right, also pretty cool gifts. And when we bring them together and bring up a family, I think it's phenomenal. Uh, I just don't like, personally, the, um, the blending of the two roles. I don't understand when that happened, how, why it's happening. It's all of a sudden, this is a thing. So I believe that it's part of the problems that we're having in society. Uh, I, now, I don't believe that any man should be abusive and tell his wife what to do and treat her bad. But again, I was brought up uh, conservative Southern Baptist where I do believe a man has a role and a responsibility and a woman has a role and a responsibility within each couple. If they want to blend that a little bit, sure. You know what? If that guy loves to cook and that's not the traditional hundred years ago role of a man, that's fine. Let him cook. He wants to. And his wife appreciates that. That's their arrangement. So I think that's fine. But I don't think that we have to make everything where every boy has to feel like a woman and know what it's like to be a woman and be ashamed because he's been a boy. Uh, that, those are some of the differences. I don't know if I answered the question, what's, what's a man? But those are some of the thoughts that come to mind. Well, I think in the book, you, you actually redefine masculinity, right? Um, I guess maybe more what I was looking at is what is the new, you know, what does this new definition entail? That's a great, and I agree 100% with, with all of those differences. I also would agree that, I, I don't know if you would agree with this, but a lot of that is intentional. Uh, and like you said, it's leading to a lot of the issues that we're experiencing. We can, we can kind of leave that aside, right? We don't think we need to explore that today, but getting back to the redefining of, of masculinity, like what does this new definition entail? Yeah. Okay. So in the last, let's call it 30, 40 years in this very convenient life that we have where you, you're supposed to go to work and come home and sit on a couch and have a remote control, and drink a beer, and eat processed unhealthy food, and then watch the news, and get all worked up with anxiety, and then go do it again. So that's what society has become. A man's no longer coming home oftentimes. You know, those of us who exercise every day, we think, of course, everybody does this. No, they don't. If you could do like 30 straight push-ups, you're in a minority, an elite minority, right? If you could do 15 pull-ups, you're like top of the world. Um, 
So what's happened in this society is that I think we're, we're just so soft and we're also in a cloud, whether it's through, like I mentioned earlier, eating processed food, watching TV and pornography and news. I'm proud to say it's been, I think I'm going on eight years where I haven't watched one newscast. I can't tell you what's going on in current events. I know there's something in the Middle East. I actually have a bachelor's degree in international relations and I understand a little bit about the concept of it, but I don't need to know the day to day. What's that going to do for me? Get me worked up, anxious, depressed, have me snap at my wife because I have all this tension, part of it from my own life and my business and my all the stuff going on. But on top of that, you're going to go watch TV and sit on a couch and drink beer, watch pornography, watch the news and take medication for all these things instead of working out. I think a man does exercise every single day. I think a man is very intentional about his life. I, t- I have a date with every one of my kids programmed in the calendar, my calendar, my wife's calendar, and each one of their calendar, and it rotates. Every four months, I'll hit them all each one time. So this month, it's with my daughter. And we go on on a three-hour date. There's no technology. We try to keep the spending to a minimum. So it might be, if we go to a movie, there's definitely dinner and a walk, or we go to coffee. It's a date like that. That's very intentional. I also express everything that's on my mind. I don't keep things back. Uh, you know, there's a lot in my, in my book, it's 31 days to become a better man. Every single day is a different challenge. One day I might have to apologize to somebody because a man is not going to hide behind that and say, oh, I'm not going to apologize. It hurts my ego. Right. So we, that's the day that we, uh, that we do that. And sometimes you got to get bad people out of your life. That's another thing. So that's the approach that I take in my program. And it's to every single day for 31 days, attack something else that ultimately makes you a better man. So you got to work out, be intentional about our life, uh, speak your mind. I love that. Like, I think that is something that we need a whole lot more of is men openly speaking what's on their mind, what's, what's on their heart, speaking against uh, some of these things that are being pushed down us. You know, I think it's Albert Einstein said, the world will not be destroyed by evil, but by those that sit back and watch like nothing is happening, right? And I think we're experiencing that. And today, you know, had more men stood up and spoke what they know to be true in 2020, we wouldn't have spent three years with 90% of the population walking around with a diaper on their face, right? So I, I, I love that, man. And I don't think enough people talk about the importance of speaking your mind. Everybody says, speak your truth. But no, speak what's going on inside of your head. What do you feel? What do you think? Don't, don't be a repeated, uh, don't just repeat talking points that you got from mainstream media, which I think is most people. Yeah, so number one is just don't watch mainstream media. And then number two is, yeah, have your own mind and don't be a sheep. Oh, you're wearing that hat. I met the gentleman who founded that company and love it. I have a t-shirt. I tell my boys all the time, we are lions. We're not sheep. We're not following what they tell us. We're doing our own thing. Yeah. I had Sean on the podcast in, 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 in 2021. I think I, I've been following him for a, for a while, but when everything happened in 2020, uh, I really latched on to what he was talking about. And it's, it's been a staple. I mean, I've owned almost the entire collection of, of hats and, and, and Sean is awesome. And I really, really enjoyed the time I got to spend with him. What got you into coaching? You, building businesses out there, succeeding, fam, family man. What got you into coaching? Yeah. Um, look, I had a problem years ago of not being able to say no. So every time that someone heard my story, came here on a boat, grew up really poor, and then I built this company and had some success. That got me invitations to go speak and it got me invitations to mentor in organizations. And I had that issue of not being able to say no. So every time I was asked, Hey, can you come and mentor in this organization? Volunteer? Absolutely. Let me help. I didn't have that kind of mentorship. Let me see how I can help. And I got myself mentoring several people in several organizations and something happened. One of those guys, it was a dog breeder in Texas was one of those free mentees where I would do Facebook live and answer questions for this organization. He said, I want to pay you to coach me. 
And I said, no, 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 I do this for free. I don't need the money. I have my businesses. And he said, no, 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 I know myself. And I won't take the advice as seriously if you don't charge me and coach me one-on-one. And I said, sure, let's do it. And I told my wife, this is going to be fun. Here, I've got a seven-figure business that's doing really well. But uh, maybe I make 50000 for the year and I'll coach a little bit. Well, that first year was $156,000. And I was working a couple hours a day at most. I go, this was amazing. And guess what? I enjoyed that way more. Like internally, that fulfilled me because I saw lives changing. But, but see, they were hiring me for business. They wanted me to give them all the tricks and tips of how to be a great businessman and make a million dollars a year and not work anymore. That's why they hired me. But then some of my questions would be, hey, how are you sleeping? And, and what are you eating? And what are you doing with your free time? And what's your relationship like with your wife and your kids and your neighbors and your parents, your siblings? I am just a nosy person, so I would ask all these questions. And I started to find a lot of holes. And I said, well, no wonder he's not getting ahead. He's eating really bad, and he has brain fog, and he's tired. So then he takes a medication that works him up, and then he takes one at night that knocks him down. Oh, he's drinking alcohol. Oh, he's this and that. And I could single-handedly say that I have, I'm very proud of the number of men who've stopped drinking alcohol because I've worked with them. Because I basically tell them, I don't really want to work with you if you drink alcohol. And by the way, you hired me because you thought I could do these things and help you. Wouldn't you want to take my advice then? And then we talk about all those sort of things. And so that's what, how coaching started. And it just, it led to one client, another. And then it got to a point where I had to stop telling people, I got to say, I can't take you on as a client. I have too many clients right now. So then someone said, do group coaching. And I didn't know how to do that. But then it, the, the idea came of doing a 31-day program. And I started that with someone else's book. I had all my friends buy it, 24 of us, all very successful guys. We had a billionaire in the group and the rest were all millionaires and multimillionaires. And we did this together and it went phenomenally well. And we're all entrepreneurs. So some of them said, Joel, that was great. Why don't you write your own book? And why don't you do a second class, but charge on the second one? And I go, oh, you're right. That's a business. Okay. So I wrote the book myself. The book we used had a lot of foul language. I don't personally like bad words. If you use them, that's fine. I don't use them. So I hated telling people to go buy this book. There was all foul mouth. Hey, go do this, go do that. It was bad. So I wrote my own book, had the class, second class, third class. Now we're past a dozen classes just this year. We started it this year. And now it's, I sold my business. So now this is all my focus. And I'm just blessed that I get to be with these guys and see the success that they have. Now, my program is not for the guy living under a bridge who's an alcoholic and just horrible and trying to get a little better. My program is for the guy who's got it pretty good and he's trying to really level up. Yeah, it's great, man. Uh, they're, they're similar to our story here and how I ended up. I, I, I think I shared this with you before we started recording today. Like, and I started this podcast really to just share what, what my experience had been and, and have a platform for others to do the same. But out of that came the need for men to get help. I'm curious if you, if you would agree with this, man, because I, I love how you got into coaching because people were asking you. It wasn't like you woke up one day and said, I'm not succeeding over here in this business. So let me become a coach. Um, curious. I see, I see a lot of it and I actually think it's becoming a major problem. There's so many blind leading the blind out there where it's very easy on social media to present an image that you're successful. It's very easy to, uh, look at somebody's funnel. I've even had people that have sent me products that they've purchased that have literally just been like a book that was swiped and then put into a digital course, not even the same person. Like they went and bought somebody else's book and now they're selling it as like a thousand dollar course. So do you see that issue as well? And how can somebody audience here now listening, right? Be able to decipher between who's the real ones out there and who's the snake oil salesman. Yeah. Social media is pretty cool, but man, it has muddied those waters. What happens is you see a guy with a massive following. There's one. 
And, and I'm not into social media as much. If you look at my Instagram or Facebook, it's very plain. There's nothing flashy. I don't own anything flashy and I don't care about, that's not how I measure success. Um, financially, I measure success with zeros in my investments on my balance sheet and in my bank accounts and all in real estate and those investments. But I'm not going to go around showing those. But there's no Bentley. There's no Rolls Royce. Right. So but don't let that uh, if you're looking at hiring a coach, don't let those things catch you, because some of the most successful people that I know that I'm very good friends with don't show any of that stuff. They just have content. And when you talk to them in person, and I've met some very famous, successful people, and I have a lot of friends that are, um, they, don't, they don't have that, at least not in my circle, because that's not what I surround myself with. But when you're looking for a coach or somebody to follow, I would, number one, look for pers- persons who've had success in what you want to accomplish. You want to build a business? Great. This person has built that type of business, and it's real. It's legitimate. And you can dig around and figure it out. For example, you've got 100,000 followers. You post something, and you get 30 likes. There's something weird there. They're probably buying followers or something. So there's those tangible things you could probably figure out. But if someone went and got a course certificate on becoming a coach because it didn't work out as a real estate agent, car salesman, plumber, whatever, I would question that. I can tell you I have no certifications except for life and going from zero and building a multi-million dollar company and doing it responsibly without getting myself into debt, without building it and blowing it. I did have some losses, some major losses, but not out of being too risky and too crazy. And because I had to buy myself a yacht and a boat or a plane, none of that. It's because sometimes there's ups and downs and there's investments that you're not ready to pull chips off the table. So it's all in still. And those sort of things happen. So to find a good coach, find the person who's actually had that success and it's verifiable. And number two, make sure there's very good chemistry between you two, right? Because if he's this crazy flashy guy and you're not, you're not going to, and then he's going to tell you just sell and get to 10 million in sales. It doesn't matter if it's profitable or not. Yeah, that does matter. You're trying to build a business. You've got to be profitable every step of the way as much as possible. So find that successful person with good chemistry that works for you. Yeah, I would agree uh, with with all that. Um, Joel, you mentioned uh, the book Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink back when we were talking about, you know, it's maybe not your fault, but it is your responsibility. I know you had an opportunity to spend a few hours, if not a day, with Jocko. What did you, what did you learn from him and what's it like being around somebody that level of intensity? And is he the same in person as he is on social media, as we're talking about social media right now. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I got to spend half a day with Jocko as well as we did a, a deal where part of my compensation was uh, coached by him. So I use this very sparingly. I don't take advantage. I can call him on a cell phone or I could text and set up a call. I've only done that twice. And I use it with very ca- little caution because I think to have him come talk to your organization for an hour is like $175,000. And even though he doesn't charge me, I want to be very respectful, but, but I did get to spend a day, uh, half a day with him, my wife and I, um, and I can tell you, he's the real deal. Um, I've seen him on stage in person a couple of times. He's invited me to his muster events and which I highly recommend. I've seen clips of his Jocko podcast, but I don't listen to it a lot and regularly. And then, um, but in person, he's the real, the same person. The only thing is there's not a microphone on and he doesn't have to talk all the time when he's in person, he can relax and he's a phenomenal listener. He takes it all in and he has a very good memory um, and he's the real deal. And I'll tell you, I got a lot of lessons out of it. He told me when we were together in his podcast studio where we spent a couple of hours in, he told me, you're not, you don't take any notes. And I told him, well, I, I do have a pretty good memory and this is all impactful, the stuff that you're giving me. But I'll tell you what the biggest takeaway from that day, and I've seen him a few times, but that day when I first met him in person, we were walking around in San Diego at Victory MMA. This is during COVID. So no one was there in the whole building, two story, big building. 
uh, octagons in there. It's a whole training facility, jujitsu, everything, MMA. But upstairs is this podcast studio, really big place. And as I asked him, Jocko, when you got out of the military, what was your first business? Because, you know, he owns Origin, which is a phenomenal American-made brand of products. Um, he's written a bunch of best-selling books. He's doing pretty well financially. Uh, Jocko and he Fuel. Yeah, energy Jocko drink. Fuel, Jocko Podcast, Jocko Everything. So he's doing very, very well. So I said, what was the first business you started? Because I love origin stories. I love to find out how you got going. And he said, when I got out of the military, the very first thing I did is buy this racquetball center, gutted it, and turned it into Victory MMA, this amazing place to train martial arts. And I go, wow, that's a big business, Jocko. To do this is your first business? I mean, he didn't start with a lemonade stand. He didn't start with a hot dog stand. He started all out big. And he goes, yeah, this was it. This is my first one. And I said, were you nervous? Were you scared? What was that like? And he goes, not nervous, not at all. And I said, man, Jocko, you seem like a worry about things on top of it, type A. How were you not stressed out about all of this? And he thought, and he looked at me, and he said, no one could die. And bam, he didn't have to say another word. When you've seen your men that you lead and your friends get blown up and get killed, and you've been there at their bedside when they die, on the battlefield where they're just pieces because shrapnel tore them up. That is traumatizing. That's a problem. That's a bad thing because you might not get that raise. You might not get that promotion. Your son didn't make the baseball team. None of that will matter. First of all, anything that doesn't matter in a hundred years doesn't matter at all. But come on, your friend, your children, your wife dying, yourself getting injured really bad and dying. Those are serious things. Things not going our way all the time. That's all right. We'll get past it. That's a powerful story, man. Um, Wrapping every, you know, last 10 minutes or so, want to get, you know, maybe some tactical advice here to the men out there. We've talked a lot about, you know, your story, your businesses, um, you know, the early, the early days of entrepreneurship for you. There's a guy that's listening to this right now, you know, maybe he's mid to late twenties, maybe he's in his thirties, maybe he's in his forties, you know, he's had a successful run maybe in the corporate world, but he's got this burning desire. Maybe he feels there's a call bigger than what he's doing right now to launch that first business. He hasn't seen death, right? Like he hasn't witnessed what Jocko witnessed. So for him to say, it's easy for me to step out there because nobody's going to die. Like that won't really resonate a lot with him, but to the guy out there that maybe wants to take that leap, what's one, two pieces of advice um, to help somebody begin to move in the direction of entrepreneurship? Yeah. So find a mentor. If you don't have the money, go get a free mentor. You will find them. You may have to ask 15 people. You know, I have a friend, he asked 23 banks in 2009, 2010, after the real estate crash here in Florida, where it got hit really hard. His 23rd bank, he was able to convince that this is a deal. Look at the prices of these homes. Look at the rental rates. This is a deal. I'll put X amount, just finance me the money. Today, he has 2,000 doors. He didn't have any before that. It took 23 banks. Now, he's the best friend of all the bankers. He pays these loans fast. He's phenomenal. Go out and find your first mentor. That means go to LinkedIn, tell everybody who will listen to you, hey, I'm looking for a mentor. I'm thinking of doing this. I want somebody to talk things through. If you can't find a mentor in 30 days, you're doing something wrong. You're probably making excuses. You're being lazy. You will find a mentor. They are out there. I've reached out to people that I never thought I would have gotten a hold of, and they've mentored me, and they've helped me. I had a 30-minute conversation with... Um, Feldenkrais, Oscar Feldenkrais, the CEO of Perry Ellis, owns Perry Ellis, Penguin, 14, I think it is, apparel brands, billionaire status, billionaire company. And it's just I bugged him enough. And he said, sure, let's have a call. And, and I've done that with multiple people. You could reach out to people. 
Be persistent. Don't be annoying. Write a handwritten letter to them. Send an email. Hit them up on LinkedIn. Hit them from every angle because when you hit them about six times, they'll hear you for the first time. Number So that's number one. Go get a mentor. Number two, look at your excuses. I promise you're making excuses. You're all talk. Uh, we Most humans are. I'm not trying to be offensive, but most of you listening are all talk. I was given a plaque that's in my garage gym where I train jujitsu, where I lift weights and I do things and my family does it. And it's Latin and it says acta non verba. And it's act, not words. Stop the talking. Stop saying I'm gonna, I should, I would, I want to. When you say those words, you immediately have to have an action plan. For me, if I say I should do that, that's it. I'm a man of my word. So when I say I should do that, that means I either do it right now, which isn't always practical, Then I grab this superpower computer here, which is my phone, and I go to my number one app. It's called Google Calendar. And I book the time that I'm going to do that. I should talk to that guy. I should go on a hike for a couple of hours with a rucksack by myself to really think about where I want to go with my life. But when I say I should, then I go block those two or three hours, and I do it when that day comes, whether I want to do it or not. So those are just two tips. Get a mentor. But while you're searching for that mentor, Call yourself out on that BS and stop making the excuses and take the action. Yeah. Begin to keep those, those little promises and you'll quickly realize how, A, how much you've been negotiating with yourself. Uh, and secondly, how easy it is to become a confident individual because you need to build that reputation that when Frank says something, Frank executes on it. And speaking to the mentor piece, man, like these guys, you know, I've been fortunate like, like you to have some incredible people that have, have helped me get to where I am today. And they've all had people help them, right? And, and every single person at the top knows that you don't get there by yourself. So then you see a young, ambitious, driven person that they see themselves from 10, 20, 30 years ago. Um, and they know that they're not going to live forever. So it's a part of their legacy passing that on. At least that's been my experience with trying to find these guys, even if I've been able to, 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 to pay them. So that one is, is, is awesome, man. Um, with the men that you're uh, wor- working with, I know a lot of these guys are successful business owners, entrepreneurship, they're, you know, doing, doing well in life. What are the common challenges are, you know, or the top ones that that you're seeing men are facing right now? Yes. Time is their number one complaint, even to do my 31 course, which is like 20 minutes a day. That's their number one thing. I don't have the time. The guys who have been most adamant about that, but then book a call with me and we chat about it. They're the ones who then later end up doing it for 31 days and then come out of it saying, I needed that. I now have regained a ton of time in my life because when you start taking, we all have the same amount of time. I was working 12 hours a day, but I still got certain things done in my life. And, I, and there's many more cases of even better entrepreneurs, more successful. We all have that. Look, I had a vice president in my company before I sold it who told me I could share this story. And he is, he's been quoted in Men's Fitness, Men's Health, all these magazines for years because he had a fitness business and he still has it, even though he was working for me as my vice president. And he's an expert on on working out and all of that. And he started getting himself a little bit out of shape. And I'm not going to hold back. I said, Justin, you're looking like you're getting a little out of shape, man. He goes, yeah, you know what it is? We've had these projects here in the company and I've been really busy and I just haven't had time to work out. Well, when we love someone, we hold them accountable. And when there's somebody who works with us or a friend or a family member, we help them out. And I said, Justin, I got to call BS on that, man. Don't we have mats here? Don't we have kettlebells, weights? And don't you have a boss, me? who would not mind if I ever come in and you're working out, would I ever mind that? He goes, no, you're absolutely right. I said, Justin, every hour, set a timer for three minutes and run in place, do some jumping jacks, do some burpees, do some push-ups, swing the kettlebell, and let's see what happens. Do that two or three times a day, and let's see what happens. Six months later, he was shredded. 
he knew the you know the foundation. He knew how to eat right. And he looked at me when I told him all that advice, and he says, "Man, you're absolutely right. That's what I need to do." So he didn't have time. How did his six pack evolve in six months? How did he get shredded and his personality change and his optimism? What happened? How did he do it if he didn't have time? He told me he didn't have time. This is a guy with a master's degree. I was paying him six figures, successful, doing great. And he thought he didn't have time. We all have the time. We can make the time. So that's one. Not having enough time is a, is a big challenge. Making excuses is another one. Woe is me. One of the days in my book, and I hit hard. I tell some stories in each one of these, that you know, things that impacted my life. It was my birthday. And I had, and I don't tell anybody when my birthday is. I don't even like my birthday. But it just so happened that that day, and it's not that I don't like it because I care about my age. I don't care. I'm growing old gracefully. I'm as strong as I was when I was younger. That's all fine. It's just I don't want attention about, oh, I was born. I, doesn't, I don't really care about that. But that day, it happened to be my birthday. And six friends were coming over to work out at 6 a.m. And they, none of them were going to leave here knowing it was my birthday. I just thought, that's, a cool, that's how I want to spend my, my birthday, working out with six friends. Well, before bed, something very uncharacteristic of those around me, they started falling off. Hey, I'm not going to be able to make it. Me neither. I'm iffy. And in the morning, the rest of them canceled. And I got into my gym at 5.50 in the morning downstairs. And I looked at myself in the mirror and I saw this poopy face and this woe is me. And I don't even know if I want to work out now. And then I said, what the heck am I doing? A man doesn't feel sorry for himself. A man picks himself up and had one of the greatest workouts of my life. So that's another one. We get into these downhill spirals of feeling sorry for myself, which leads to thinking not as positively, which leads to speaking not as positively. And guess what actions we do? And guess what kind of results we get? Exactly. Exactly. Joel, brother, this has been an absolute honor, man. Time has, has blown by, man. I feel like I could talk to you for, for hours. Uh, tell the guys where they can connect with you. I know you got your five tips to live an amazing life uh, out there. So yeah, where can they find you? Where can they find your book? Uh, where, where are you hanging out most? these days and we'll wrap it up with our last and final question. So I hang out in the gym, in the ice water, in the sauna with my family. That's where I hang out. But if you want to look for me online, go to joelgandara.com. And at the very top, there's a little button you click. And I'm going to send you five things that I think make for a phenomenal life. If you got all five of those under control, you're already having a phenomenal life. If you don't, then maybe those tips are going to help you. The other thing on that website, joelgandara.com, there's a 31-day challenge. You can buy the book and do it on your own. Go for it. It's like $20. But if you want to invest a little bit more in yourself and spend 20 to 30 minutes a day to come out on the other side of the 31 days with a phenomenal life, I guarantee it or I give the money back. About 250 men have done it this year. Nobody has asked for their money back. It has changed their life. I've met their spouses and I've met a lot of their kids and they've told me it's changed their life because their father's doing greater things. I'm also on Instagram and Facebook. I'm not on there all day, but I do have a presence on there. Awesome. And yeah, guys, we'll have all that plugged down there in the show notes. Definitely download the five tips. And uh, I'd recommend pick, at least picking up the book, right? Uh, you know, maybe exploring the coaching route uh, to get some guidance along along the way. But at minimum, um, I think we can all uh, benefit from 31 days of, of real intentional work, man. So Joe, it's been an absolute honor. Two final questions, man. You kind of said it there. You're hanging out in the sauna or the ice plunge. Uh, if you had to choose one, which one would you choose? Ice or heat? Oh, I'll tell you which one I prefer. It's my Steam, jacuzzi, and sauna. I love those three. And the one I have a love-hate relationship is the ice. So if I had to let go three of them, I'd keep the ice because that's the one that really challenges me every morning. Yeah. Yeah. It's been, uh, it's been about six months now uh, without missing a beat. I missed a handful of days. I've been traveling. Uh, just, I think, five or six days I was traveled in the last six months. But outside of that, it's been like clockwork. And 
tell people all the time, like I stand there every single morning looking at the damn plunge, not wanting to get in it. Uh, but the minute I get out, I'm so grateful that, uh, that I did take that. And, uh, yeah, it's one of those things, man. It doesn't, doesn't get easier. Um, but God, man, there, there've been only a small full of things that I felt the benefits significantly, uh, like I have with that daily thing, the physiological stuff, obviously all that's amazing, but just literally saying, I don't want to do this and then just doing it. So, uh, I, I would agree as well. Uh, I got a son here as well. I would probably, if I had to choose one, I would say I would rather get in the ice cause it's, it's going to test and challenge me. So I, I love that. Uh, last question, Joel, we like to end every single episode here with the same and final question. Obviously the title of our show is called the Superman life. Uh, and for me, this has been a journey of two, you know, four plus years now over 220 plus episodes of figuring out what living a superhuman life means to me. Uh, and to me, it's a belief system. It's, it's how I try to show up in, in, in the world. I think we have very similar worldviews and perspectives. I do believe that we're put here for a purpose. The fact that you were on a boat in 1980 coming to the States, I don't think was an accident. I think that there was uh, a bigger plan for you even back then. And I think you're fulfilling a lot of that here today. So for me, it's coming from a place that I believe we're here for a purpose, but we must be intentional. I love that word that you use multiple times. We must be intentional about our growth, our development, how we're, how we're bringing those skills to the world in service of, of, of others. And you pair those belief systems, in my opinion, that's living a superhuman life. But Joe Gandara, as we end today's conversation, how would you define living a superhuman life? Yeah, so I've got that motivation every day to get to the best of my abilities. And I have a reminder, when I walk into my closet every day, I have all my shirts facing one direction, sideways. And then I have one shirt facing me. And it's the shirt I wore on the boat when I came here to this country. And every day I walk into that closet and it smacks me in the face and reminds me that I'm here for a purpose. And then I think about when I'm 100 years old. I think I might live that long. I'm pretty healthy. I've never done a drug. I don't smoke. I don't drink. I exercise, eat well. So when I'm 100 years old, I'm going to look back. And you can either use it that way or you can see yourself at the pearly gates. And then you're going to look at a movie of your life. And when you're a baby and when you're a kid, when you're growing up, you're an adult, you're an old man. Are you living up to the maximum capabilities that you were given? I'm never going to be a sprinter in the Olympics. That's fine. But with what I was given, an ability to help men become better, am I helping them? I have a goal, and I set this goal this year, to directly, with my own hands, my mouth, my, my abilities, impact the lives of 10,000 men that I directly coach. This year, we're at about 250 of them. Do I hit that 10,000? Maybe I don't because my life gets cut short, but did I maximize the effort to change as many lives as I could? Because I think that's why I was put on this planet. It's to help men become better fathers, better husbands, so that those generations now can be better. If I impact this guy's life right here and he was headed in the wrong direction and he's now a great father, guess what his kids and grandkids, they got a better shot at this life. So if, if that's how I'm going to be judged, then I'm going to work that way to make sure that I did the best with the abilities that I was given. Absolutely love that. Guys, get out there. Connect with Joel, joelgandara.com. Pick up the five tips. Uh, get the book, 31 Days to Becoming a Better Man. We chase your greatness. Fill your passion. Fulfill your purpose. Uh, but for Joel, your host, Frank Rich, we love you guys. Don't forget to subscribe because we're dropping episodes every single Monday. And more importantly, if there's somebody in your life that needs to hear this conversation, maybe they're struggling navigating this journey of entrepreneurship right now. Maybe they're not facing enough hardship in their life. Maybe they're not out there chasing real greatness. Do us the favor, but do them the blessing by sharing this conversation. But we love you guys. See you next week.